and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Welcome to today's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week, Senior Pastor Perry Duggar begins his Christmas series called The Names of Christmas. The first name of Jesus will address as Wonderful Counselor. You'll see how our Wonderful Counselor cares about you. Let's pray that God will confirm the faith of those who truly know Him and will call others to come to Him. Here's Pastor Perry Duggar. Begin a new series today, Christmas series of messages called The Names of Christmas. Now, the name that we associate with our celebration of Christmas is what? Where's a kid? Santa Claus. Santa Claus. But Santa Claus has many other names around the world. In the Netherlands, he's called Sinterklaas, which is Dutch for St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was a fourth century bishop who gave away his inheritance to help children. He's thought to arrive from Spain in a boat on December the 5th, and he leaves gifts in the children's shoes. But more important than any of Santa's names or the gift giver's names, or the names of our Savior, our Messiah. And almost 800 years before the birth of Jesus, Assyria was marching to conquer Israel. The prophet Isaiah offered hope to King Ahaz by prophesying about a coming deliverer king. You can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. In the Bible available here, it's page 555. And we begin at verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then drop to page, I mean to verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies or the zeal of the Lord Almighty will make this happen. A son would be born. He would follow the line of David and he would bear the titles or the names, wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But do you know what those names mean to you? This season, we're going to look at each name and consider them, examine them carefully to discover what God intends to give us through those names of his Son. 
Now this child that would be born was not sent to reestablish the earthly kingdoms of Judah or Israel. But instead, he would establish the king of God, the kingdom of God on earth. Now Jesus would partially fulfill the prophecy at his birth that first Christmas in Bethlehem. But complete fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy will not occur until Jesus returns again to gather us. Now each of the Messiah's names or titles shows an aspect of our Savior's character. The Messiah's first title and the title of today's message is Wonderful Counselor. Some Greek scholars believe there should be a comma between wonderful and counselor. We take them together, but we can consider them separately. And the word wonderful means incomprehensible and refers to something or someone miraculous, extraordinary, astounding, someone who causes intense amazement in people. I urge you this Christmas to shake off the familiarity and see can you experience again the amazement of this one that came in Beth, to Bethlehem so many years ago. Jesus demonstrated his wonderful nature during his time on earth. He was born to a virgin. He possessed the power to heal. He astonished people with his teaching. He lived a sinless life. And he was raised from the dead. A counselor we all have a little familiarity with, but a counselor is a person who urges certain actions or thoughts based on wise advice. In ancient Israel, a counselor was often portrayed as a wise king like Solomon who gave sound guidance to his people. But what difference does Jesus being a wonderful counselor make in your life? Several characteristics I'll point out about a wonderful counselor. The first is that a wonderful counselor communicates wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, simply put, wisdom is the appropriate application of knowledge. It's the ability to understand a situation, particularly a difficult or a confusing one. And to know what steps to take to best resolve it. Jesus possessed extraordinary wisdom and discernment. Even from a young age. Look at Luke chapter 2. Beginning at verse 39. And the Bible available here. It's on page 822. That this is when Jesus was taken to the temple to be circumcised. But it introduces his life as a child. 
When Jesus' parents, at verse 39, had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor. What's another word for God's favor? God's grace. That supernatural element that's a bit hard to describe, isn't it? That influence from God. God's favor was on him. Now, Jesus' wisdom wouldn't be surprising to us if we assume that he retained everything he possessed as God, all the knowledge of divinity, and he merely cloaked it or covered it in a human body. But that's not what the scripture says about him. The scripture tells us that when he became human, he released his divine powers and privileges and prerogatives. And as a human, he had to grow in learning and develop discernment just as we do. But even as a young man, he displayed surprisingly advanced insight. Stay in Luke chapter 2, but look at verse 45. Now, at age 12, Jesus was taken to Jerusalem for Passover. But as a 12-year-old, he got lost or distracted, should we say. Anybody ever raised a distracted 12-year-old? So Jesus went with the family. They all walked. The whole village perhaps traveled together or many from the village, relatives were together. And so Passover was complete. It was time for Mary and Joseph to return home. They couldn't see Jesus anywhere. So they assumed, what? He'll come with somebody else. You ever done that, Susan? You have 10 kids, don't you? You ever lost any of them? Quite a few times. And you thought somebody else had them, right? (laughs) Well, these were ordinary parents. They had a 12-year-old. That's what's going on here. So they left. But then after traveling, they could not find him. You know they became anxious. They went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. But notice this, three days later, imagine these parents, they've missed him for three days. This was not a safe place or a safe time. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. They didn't assume a 12-year-old boy would be in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus' wisdom exceeded what someone his age would possess. He likely had received No formal training. Certainly his parents taught him some things, but 
No formal training, no formal teaching. And his family background, they were, this, these, these were working class people, craftsmen perhaps, a carpenter or a mason, the Greek word can be translated either one. And so people were shocked by his knowledge. Look at Matthew chapter 13, at verse 54. And it's on page 784. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. In other words, and they're pretty ordinary. Where did he learn all these things? From God's Spirit, from God's Word in just the way that we can. Wisdom that is free from mistake or error must be based on truth, God's truth. Some say all truth is God's truth, regardless of the source from which you hear it. But understanding is not dependent on cognitive development. Now, what do I mean by cognitive development? Smarts. Or receiving advanced education. Rather, wisdom based on the truth of God is a spiritual act of growth. And it's an expression of the grace of God, the favor of God on your life. So when you meet someone with with great wisdom, look for whether they know the Savior, not for where they went to school. Wisdom can be developed from reading God's word. What book of the Bible contains the most wisdom? What do you think? Proverbs. How many chapters are there? Who said a lot? (laughs) Somebody tell her how many. (laughs) There's 31. So there's one per day, at least in the the months with 31 um, days. And so if you say, you know what, boy, I need some wisdom. A chapter a day. Start with a chapter a day. Continue reading it over and over and over. And ask God to fill you with wisdom. But also wisdom is developed by being led by the spirit of Christ. Who is our wonderful counselor. And the spirit can tell us and guide us and show us what is right. What is wrong. Can reveal what we should do and when we should do it and how we should do it. 
Has the Spirit of God ever sensitized you to something that you knew was not right? Maybe something at work, a decision is made at home, in the family, and the Spirit of God is saying, no. Anybody ever had this experience? Did you speak up? Or were you concerned with becoming unpopular at home? Has a lack of wisdom ever caused you to make mistakes in your life? Anybody ever had made mistakes from a lack of wisdom? Then slow down. Ask Christ's spirit for insight, for advice. Seek wisdom from God's word. Don't be rushed. You will live to regret it. Can anybody affirm that truth? Because as Colossians 2, 3 says, in him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our wonderful counselor confers compassion. Jesus is a wonderful counselor because he knows our pain. He feels our sorrow. No one wants an insensitive counselor and especially an aloof one. John 2.25 says this, no one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. And the next verse says, he knows what is in a person. Jesus knows us completely, individually, personally, intimately, and he cares. There was a man named Lazarus who was a good friend of Jesus. He had two sisters. What were their names? Mary and Martha. And Lazarus became sick. Jesus was sent for and he delayed. He didn't go to Bethany where they lived until after Lazarus died. He waited till the situation was actually hopeless. And then he went. John 11 tells us this. When Jesus saw her, this is Mary, weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. I think these next three words are some of the most powerful words in all the scripture to me. Then Jesus wept. Now what was he about to do? He was about to raise him from the dead. And yet he wept. Why did he weep? Why did he weep? Some would say unbelief. I'm not convinced that's it. Why did he weep? 
I think he felt their pain. I think he felt their pain. The, the cruelty of sin is certainly part of it. But I think that Jesus wept because he loved this woman. He felt her agony. If you've lost someone you love, you know what I'm saying when I call it agony. Even though he was about to relieve it. Don't miss this point. See, some of us, because we think we have a solution for pain, don't ever enter the pain. You have a small child who's lost a favorite toy and is distraught. And you know you can replace that toy. So do we feel no pain or do we enter the child's pain? Jesus enters even our immature understanding of life because he has compassion for who we are, where we are, what we feel, even if he has a solution. It's like sometimes at a funeral you will hear a death minimized because there's a belief in heaven. That doesn't remove the agony or the grief. It gives some hope to move through it. Jesus feels our grief, our pain. He has compassion for all of our pain, all of our loss that we suffer. He cares about our anxious, our oppressed, our discouraged, our fearfulness, our hopelessness, our confusion. Look at this verse, Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These were lost people, right? Sometimes we resent lost people, don't we? Or we think, well, they cause their own problems, and so we have no compassion, right? Is that true? Not anybody in here, but I know a few from the other service. <laughs> but we, we fail to be like our wonderful counselor when we don't enter people's agony. And sometimes if we can blame them for it, we don't feel what they feel. Jesus does. Do you see, what I'm, you see where I'm going here? He comes to us with gentle acceptance, with humble concern, even when we caused our difficulties. Who has caused most of your problems and pain? Yes, point to the person. <laughs> he cares. You know, as we've um, been praying for Graham, 
I think all of us have surveyed the healings of Jesus to see how can we pray it differently? What, how can we ask? What's... But as I've surveyed Jesus' healings, there's been a commonality. I've seen that he cured people in response to their pain. Not because he wanted to impress a crowd and prove them his power. Those two are totally different, aren't they? He could have stepped in, performed a miracle because he wanted to show them, see, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior. You'll never find that. You'll never find that. In every instance, you find Jesus identifying with one person's pain and relieving it. Jesus knows and he feels the wounds that are within each of us that affect how we feel. He understands what triggers us into harmful thoughts and destructive actions. And Jesus doesn't despise or resent us. Can you understand that? Jesus does not despise or resent you. He loves each one of us. He's concerned about the circumstances of our lives. Even the negative ones we caused. So take your broken, fearful heart to him. He won't scold. He will listen. He will provide hope. Is there anyone here that needs to experience the compassion of Jesus today? Anybody? I want to know. You need to experience. Here's what I want you to do. Those, I want to see those hands. I want the people around you to pray for you. You can pray silently. You can pray quietly. I want you to pray for those near you that raise their hands. And I'm going to pray. Father, many of your children in this room are hurting. And we know you care, but Lord, I ask that you would relieve the pain. I ask that you would fill the grief with your presence, with your power, with your love. Show yourself to be the wonderful counselor, Lord, the counselor of compassion at this time. Amen. Our wonderful counselor also conveys guidance. Now, this is a place we can be honest, right? Well, let me, all the one, all of you that get mad when there's too much honesty, go ahead and stand up. Because <laughs> we'll show you the door. <laughs> Here's, this should be a place where we can all be honest even with differing opinions. You hear me? I don't, say, I don't like the word safe because it implies we won't be challenged. I'm not saying at all we shouldn't be challenged, but we should have the ability to speak honestly so that we can learn from each other. 
As I approach Christmas, this feels like a different Christmas than any I remember experiencing. Because we're living in a time when our cultural sources of direction, teachers, professors, news media, medical professionals, governmental officials, politicians, even religious leaders cannot be relied upon without close examination. Now hear me, hear me. I'm not throwing this out for us to divide over the issues. I'm saying there's a source for truth and it's Christ. It's not in any political party. And I don't care what websites you're looking at. The truth is in Christ. And we find unity in Christ. But the guidance, the guidance that we need for our lives can only come from Jesus Christ. John 8, 12. And Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. Not the news media, not that one, your favorite website even, not your favorite talking head or personality. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is the light of the world. Is he the only light in this world? No. It says you receive the light. But without him, all creation is plunged into sin, corruption, ignorance, despair, fear, hopelessness, darkness. But if we follow him by faith, our lives become illuminated. By, by his truth, we're born again. Yes, we receive eternal life. Yes, we receive a promised home in heaven. But we also receive light for today to live. Following Jesus illuminates our everyday lives. Do you have any light? Have you been putting it under a basket? Because it's supposed to shine, but that means it shines in your home. It shines with your family. It shines at work. It shines everywhere you are. You've been given spiritual eyes to discern your surroundings. Can't you tell when something's not right? Use it. Use it. Use it. Use it. Without guidance from our wonderful counselor, we just follow somebody on television or something our culture believes or we follow our own instincts and ideas. And often our own ideas are short-sighted and self-centered. We need guidance from our Savior who created us and created this world, who knows us 
fully and wants only what's truly best for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus wants only what's truly best for us? We need only ask. He will tell us an answer to our prayers. Through his word, directly through impressions from his spirit, sometimes spoken to us from another person who possesses light. Psalm 32, 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Our wonderful counselor can make a difference in our lives by communicating wisdom, by conferring compassion, by conveying guidance. Will we ask? Our care volunteers will be here. They're here to confer with you, to counsel with you, to pray for you, to anoint you with oil. Let me urge you, today is going to be the final day where we put out these invitation cards. They're in baskets. Again, if you know someone to invite, someone with no church connection, to bring with with you during this series, pray over it. And reach out to someone, but the cards will be here and this will be the last Sunday we will put them out because the series will be half over after next week. Also, I want to remind you that next Sunday will be the first Sunday. And so those of you that find it hard to come regularly at 8.15 to pray, just try once a month. And so we'll be gathered right here, 8.15, first Sunday prayer for watchers. Father, we thank you that you are wonderful and you're a wonderful counselor. Lord, teach us what that means. Help us, Lord, to call out to you for guidance first. Help us to hear. Help us to heed. So we can follow you fully. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. You can also watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the names of Christmas series. Thanks for listening and have a great week.